How does bonus accelerated depreciation work when it comes to commercial real estate? Is real estate a good source of retirement income? And can it take the place of safe assets like bonds in your investment portfolio? That's today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 433. Plus, can investments be transferred in kind from an inherited trust to a brokerage account? And what tips do the fellows have for acing the CFP exam and launching a career as a financial advisor? If you've got money questions, visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click Ask Joe and Big Al on air to send them in as an email or a voice message. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA. Hi, YMW, YMYW team. This is Papa Joe from Naples, Florida. Type in this email while drinking a Modelo. And my one-year-old snoodle a puppy sitting on my lap. Nice. My question is regarding bonus accelerated depreciation as it relates to purchasing a commercial real estate property. I want to purchase a $3 million car wash or gas station strictly as a landlord, not as an owner-operator, via 1031 exchange this year, and then perform a cost seg study to appreciate 80% of the capital improvements, including the equipment, which the IRS allows in 2023. Is this 80% bonus depreciation? If, if this 80% bonus depreciation is 1.2 million, can I use this amount over many tax years to offset any proceeds from the following rental income from this property and other properties? Dividend from traded REITs, K-1 reported income from real estate syndicated deals and partnerships, K-1 income from non-real estate businesses, and or is there any other types of income that can offset? I know there will be depreciation recapture when the property is sold, but if I sell the property in the future via another 1031 exchange, will the depreciation recapture continue to be deferred? Thanks for the great show. Is it help me in figuring out that I can retire and how to set up a solo 401k and a mega door back Roth? All the best. Oh, he's learned a lot from us with Papa Joe. He's, Papa Joe. he's killing it in <laughs> Naples. Um, well, I got I got a few things to go over here. A few misconceptions. We got to break a couple of these terms. Yeah, we, we got to just slow the roll we, we, here. We do. So Papa Joe. Yeah. So so maybe to to translate. So Papa Joe wants to buy a business that is part business, part real estate. Three million dollars. It's a it's a car wash or gas station, right? So that's that's what he's buying, and he's trying to buy it on a ten thirty one exchange, which means he already has another property that he wants to sell. And if you do a 1031 exchange and you follow the rules, then you can actually defer your gain from the property you sold into the new property. So that's what he's trying to do. So, for instance, he bought a property for 100000 It's worth now $3 million. Yes. Instead of paying the tax, he's right. going to roll all of that gain into this new property via 1031. Yeah. And so that's a perfect example then. So in that particular case, you buy this $3 million property, your depreciation doesn't change. All you get is the 100000 that you started with. You The only time you get new depreciation on a, something like this is if you put new money into it. So in other words, you sell a property for $2 million that you bought for 100000 We use your example there. So you've, you got $1.9 million of gain you rolled into the new property, but you had to put another million dollars in, whether it's your own cash or you borrowed it, doesn't matter. That's considered putting money in. So you get to depreciate that extra million that was new money 
right? Or new financing. So that that's what we're talking about. Not the whole three million. We're just talking about in this example the the million dollars. So that's what you have to work with. So he would get in that scenario because his total basis would be one point one. Yeah. So would he get one point one of depreciation? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, he's already depreciated, right? So it's it's whatever's left over. Oh, left over 000. from the hundred thousand, yeah. which is probably zero. Yeah, we'll call it we'll call it zero just to make the example easy. So the million dollars that you get to depreciate now, well, first of all, you got to split that between land and building. So part of it's land, part of it's building. Land by definition per the IRS doesn't depreciate because it's there, it stays there, right? Absent an earthquake or <laughs> the cliffs rolling into the ocean or something like that. Then can you but, depreciate? Yeah. Yeah. Now you can depreciate your building. Now commercial property, you depreciate over 39 and a half years. So that million dollars, let's just say 70% of it is building. So that's 70% of that you divide by 39 and a half years. That's how much you get to depreciate each year. That's, that's the calculation. Now, if you do a cost segregation study where you pay an engineer engineering firm to come in and analyze what you really bought fixtures and yeah, you'll do better because you bought, yeah, carpeting, you, you you bought in this in this particular case it's a it's a car wash or gas station so you got pumps you got all oh, kinds of hoses. stuff hoses that soap not, that's <laughs> yeah, lots of soap right so so the personal property you get to depreciate over five years and land improvements over fifteen years certain property uh, like furniture over seven years. So if you can segregate what you really bought, it's not seven hundred thousand dollars of land. It's maybe. $550,000 of land and $150,000 of other stuff, then you can take extra depreciation on that part. So let's call that part 150,000, okay? Now to do the bonus depreciation, your depreciable life has to be below 20 years. So the 39.5% building out the window. So you're left with $150,000. You could take 80% of that. So let's call that 120,000. That's what you get to depreciate, not, not 3 million in my example <laughs> yeah right and then you can then you can use that against profits from that business and but then you got to look into is this a passive business is this an active business and the rules are completely different if it's passive if you don't if you really have very little to do with it and it's real estate oriented you can only net it against other real estate income if it's active and you'd have to dive in to see exactly how much you're doing and how much of this is a car wash versus real estate then you could take those losses against any other income, generally only in the year that you have the loss. But if you create so many losses that you can't use them all in your current year, then you get a net operating loss carry forward that you can you can do for 20 years in the future. Papa Joe, it's Big Al for you. Hopefully that helped. You got gentlemen and gentle lady. I have some questions about the role of real estate in a retirement portfolio. My wife and I live in Waco, Texas. And we recently got a new grandbaby in Kentucky. I'm a retired doctor. I like IPA beers. I drive a modest Toyota Corolla. Silver, so it never looks dirty. All right, that's wise. Yeah, it is well, wise. He is a doctor. A couple <laughs> yeah. more years of education than me. Yeah, he's way smarter. Than way smarter. We have done well to save. So I know we're set for retirement. I'm not interested in ta I'm oh, but I am interested in tax savings. Okay. Because I feel that I paid my fair share so far. I'm 67 years old. I have $3 million in a traditional IRA and $8.5 million in a, excuse me, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> doctor, get over here. Right, right. 
<laughs> Doctor, you are a saver. <laughs> I've heard real estate is a good is good for retirement income because it produces steady income. But you also have to either manage the properties or pay someone else to do it. And there's no guarantees. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you just started thinking about doctors. Here, here it comes. <laughs> here it comes. <laughs> so are there significant tax savings opportunities if I buy an investment property in either Texas or Kentucky? Google says I can deduct R&M expenses. Repair and maintenance. And depreciation. Okay. Among other things. But is it deductible against only rental income or possibly against my total income, namely eventually my really high RMDs? I'd rather not have the hassle of trying to rent it out to anyone. I'm going to have the heck. <laughs> what the, heck, what is the heck is a bonus depreciation? depreciation. Oh, that is a it. good question. And finally, in terms of ta- so he's just doing research. Yeah, he's got all he, these buzz terms. He's got the doc. You know, he's like <laughs> R&M, expenses, depreciation, that's right. bonus depreciation. Yeah, that's right. I also thought about holding the properties in a trust so they're not included in my future estate tax. Oh, he's going to do an irrevocable trust. Well, he's just, again, just uh, just uh, a couple buzzwords. Yeah. Let's get it out Come of the Come on, Doc. Here. Come on, let's go. I look forward to the show each week, and I tell all my friends about it. You'll be prime time in no time. Thanks. All right. All right. While you were choked up, you missed the part that he asked, what unique aspects does real estate investing have over other capital assets? Nothing. There you go. <laughs> it does. Well, let's see. So, Doc, Doc Jerry, here's what I would say. Being a longtime rental property owner since the decade of the 1980s. How about that? We're close to the same age. I'm a little, little bit younger. But at any rate, uh, so yeah, rental properties are great because when you buy a rental property, not only do you get income, but you get appreciation. So you can sort of double up and you don't even have to use all your own money. You can borrow money from the bank. You make a cash flow and you have appreciation. In some cases, you can make quite a bit of money if you pick the property right and you manage it successfully and so forth. But it's a lot of work. It's like running a business. Now, if you just buy one rental property, maybe it's not that big a deal. But, the, but it's still a lot of work. There's a lot to learn here. I'm being a landlord and getting tenants. I would highly recommend you get a property manager, even though they're probably going to charge you 8 to 10% of the rent. I think that's wholly worthwhile. You do get to deduct your expenses against rental income, but there's something called a passive loss rule, which states that if your income is over $100,000, then it starts phasing out your ability to take losses against other income. And once your income is over 150,000, you cannot take any current losses. That loss just keeps, it just, it's a passive loss and it carries forward. This RMD is probably going to be over that limit. I, yeah, probably yeah, way over. Plus, I don't know what kind of income you have on the other big pile of money you have in your brokerage account, right. but I'm guessing your income's over 150. So you wouldn't get any current tax deduction. You could only net it against rental income. And by the way, you can't take any of these deductions if you're not going to rent it. That's called a second home, right? That's a personal asset. So if you want to at least take any kind of deductions, you're going to have to rent it out, hire a property manager. I will say this, if you go to Kentucky, you have a property in Kentucky, you might be able to write off at least a portion of your trip when you go to visit your grandbaby because you got a property there. There's a lot of complex rules there, but yeah, it's a great asset, but it's probably a lot harder than you would think. Yeah. Jerry's not doing it. <laughs> Guaranteed. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it unless you've done it and, and are really into it. All right. Thanks, Doc. 
Dr. Jerry's question originally aired in episode 426, and Don's real estate question coming up is originally from episode 416 for those keeping score. Is real estate investing a pathway that you should consider to boost your retirement income? First, go to the show notes and download 10 tips for real estate investors. Then, join Big Al Clopine CPA for a free webinar on the topic on Wednesday, June 21st at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Find out what you need to know before you dive into buying rental properties, the pros, cons, and mistakes to avoid, the financials that determine what makes a good investment property, and how to minimize taxes through your real estate investments. Plus, get all your questions about creating retirement income through real estate investing answered live by Big Al. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app to go to the show notes, download 10 tips for real estate investors, and register for the Real Estate Income Webinar, both free from your money, your wealth, and pure financial advisors. Got Don from Virginia. I am recently retired, sold a business in 2019, and another in 2022, I'm semi retired because I have a small real estate business that produces, on average, $100,000 a year net revenue after taxes in the form of 11 single-family houses. We spend about $125,000 a year, $25,000 of which is health insurance and costs. Just venting. That is not my question. <laughs> okay. okay. Didn't sound like a question. I had two questions, but I'm realizing now my second is dumb. Oh, and there's only one question here. First one. In addition to my rental properties, I have more money in real estate in form of QOZs. Oh, qualified, qualified opportunities. opportunities yeah. QOZs. He's, he's fancy. Yeah, right. Uh, a Vanguard REIT index in my IRAs, my personal house, and a little in a private REIT. Okay. Overall, my asset allocation is approximately 46% equities, 46% real estate, and 8% bonds. Uh, the equities are BRKB. Uh, what's that, Berkshire? Uh, some large cap individual stocks and broad market Vanguard ETFs. Obviously, I am low on bonds and high on real estate. But what would you all say about real estate? Is is that an okay substitute for bonds? Reallocating would be a slow process. <laughs> Selling properties. Best dog in the world, 11-year-old three-legged mutt, Tacoma. No alcohol in a long time, sadly. Okay, Don from Virginia. Thanks for the question. So he's got a, a, a ton of real estate. Yep. And he's like, man, if I'm going to sell this real estate and reallocate it to bonds, that's going to take me forever. Yeah, super expensive too with taxes. He's probably. got 11 single family homes. So he, he is yep. loaded up on real estate. Yeah, yeah. Um, He spends $125,000 a year. The real estate is giving him $100,000 a year. Um. I have no idea how much money he has in the other yeah, portion of his portfolio. Don't say that. Uh, I guess. It, so with what we know, I would say, well, first of all, I don't think real estate's a great substitute for bonds because with bonds, you can sell and get cash the next day. Real estate, you cannot. It's very illiquid. Ill, Ill, illiquid. Now you do get similar income, maybe. Maybe you get a little bit better income on real estate, depending upon where you're located in the country, maybe. But you know, maybe the income is somewhat similar, but the the liquidity is not. So I, I don't really think it's a substitute for bonds. However, 
You know what? I don't really know what your other assets are. And with 11 single family homes, I'm hoping you've got a pretty good chunk of cash just for, for, maintenance, for, for, for maintenance. well, for maintenance, for market crashes, for loss of tenants, for new roofs, blah, blah, blah. I've lived all that and, and it can be tricky. Um, I think if you got plenty of cash for your, your rental properties and you're basically almost covering your expenses from the rentals, I wouldn't worry too much about it, but we don't really have enough information. I wouldn't sell real estate to get bonds. If you feel like you want a little bit more safety and, and have a little bit more fixed income and bonds, you could sell some of your equities maybe, but I don't know. I, I mean, based upon what little we know about you, it seems like you got it pretty dialed in. Yeah. I mean, he's covering his fixings. Yeah. That's the main thing. Right. And then do you have enough cushion? Do you have enough cash? Do you have enough reserves yeah. just in case something happened and just see, as El said? See, here, here's what can happen. So we have another great recession. Properties go down in value. People are losing their jobs. They can't afford to pay the rent. So now you're get, not getting 100000 a year. Now you're getting 20000 or zero or negative 10000 whatever the number is. And now at the same time, your stocks are down. But now you got to pay your bills, right? So just be aware that's, the, that's the, what you have to think about here. All right. Great question, Don. Andy, George. Yeah, let's go to George. Well, Andy, Joe, and Al, thank you for sharing your knowledge about investing and planning for retirement. I feel like I'm—I've learned a lot by listening to you. I'm focused on saving for retirement. Playing catch-up after life put me back to zero eight years ago. I'm now sixty, single, have two hundred thousand in total investments, sixty forty split. With 50K in brokerage, 50K in Roth, and $100,000 in my workplace tax advantage retirement plan. I earn $55,000 a year and plan to work two to five more years. I save $20,000 a year. He makes $55,000, Al. That's, a, that's, a, that's good. I think you do that. <laughs> that's a pretty, pretty good uh, savings rate there. Maybe that's, maybe that's net pay. I don't know how you do it after taxes. Yeah. Well, it's all pre-tax. Yeah. So uh, good for you. I will have a school system pension of $2,000 per month at retirement at 62. And it'll grow a little if I work a little longer. And I'll take Social Security at 67, which is also about $2,000 a month. I stand to inherit $450,000 soon. 60K in inherited IRA, and the rest is in a trust. I will add the inherited IRA at my custodian, Fidelity and maintain a 60-40 allocation of U.S. and international stocks with a small value tilt, bond funds, and a little real estate allotment. This guy sounds like a CFB. He does, yeah. He's got a little small value tilt. <laughs> I thought, right. And a little REIT maybe allotment. Listen, listen to our show, maybe. My question, though, it's about the trust investments, which are now a mix of mostly fixed income, 80%, a few individual stocks, and some expensive stock funds. I have no interest in st staying with the bank investment arm where the trust monies are now handled. And as I understand it, through some internet researches or searches, I can move the investments in kind to my Fidelity brokerage account. Does that sound right? My hope is to realign the mix to a 60-40 allocation after moving this inheritance to the brokerage account. That would mean selling all of the extraneous. Thank you. Expensive and repetitive <laughs> funds. The bank I bought for my deceased benefactor in buying a simple mix of index funds. Jeez. Okay. I could, Keep going. Could you help me understand the inherited investments 
are handled on a step-up in basis in what I should expect for tax consequence. Also, about half of the fixed income portion is in municipal bonds and the other individual bonds with maturity dates in the years to come. I obviously am not in a tax bracket that justifies municipal bonds, and I have no interest in buying and selling individual bonds now or in the future, but rather will always use the core bond funds. Do I lose money if I sell them early than the maturity date and try to keep my portfolio simple? I know a likely response will be to find a fiduciary financial planner to help me out. And I likely will be giving your firm a call for a consultation as well as checking with some others. Look at that. Yeah. Do do some research. He's already given us a call. (laughs) We're going to answer his question. And then then he'll see how we do. Exactly. We'll probably blow this thing up. Probably. Now I'm getting nervous. <laughs> we got some business on the line here, Big Al. <laughs> here, let me get, get Kleenex to dab, dab your forehead. Yes. Uh, uh, um, and checking with some others when my nest egg grows substantially in a short time. But I enjoy handling my modest investments mm-hmm. now and uh, see continue to doing so as much as possible. Anyway, keep up the good work and look forward to hearing your response. George in Kansas. Okay. Okay. Well, well, first of all, let's talk about when you inherit these assets. Uh, Yes, you can move them to your Fidelity brokerage account in kind. That's not a problem. Easy peasy, full step up in basis. Yeah. Full step up in basis means that whatever the value is uh, when the individual passes away becomes your new cost basis. So it doesn't matter if the investments were bought for 50,000, right? Now they're 100,000. Your cost basis is 100,000 because that's what it would be worth or that's what it was worth the date your um, your parent or whoever this is. The benefactor. Benefactor. Thank you. I was searching for that word and it wasn't coming. Um, the date the benefactor passed away. Okay. So that, so when you sell them, like, let's say you sell them in the next week, there's no tax consequence, right? Unless the stock goes up or down in that week. Right. So yeah, that's the good news about inheriting assets outside of a retirement account. You can sell those, you can rebalance and there's no tax consequence at all. But we're assuming that it's just a revocable living trust. Yeah. And, and it is. Okay. Because there was a side follow up. All right. Follow up. If it was irrevocable. That's totally different. Yeah, totally different. Yeah, you're right. Good, good point. Yeah, so easy peasy, George. You you get the assets because you're the beneficiary. Yes, and then whenever the successor trustee settles the estate, you know, then that account will go into your name, and then from there you can just do a an ACAT transfer, you know, right into your Fidelity account. Yeah, and then investments go right over, and you can sell them there. As far as the inherited IRA, so you can obviously buy and sell assets in that that as well. There's no tax consequence, but you will pay taxes on that because all money coming out of IRAs is taxable, right? As ordinary income. Yeah, on the distribution. On the distribution, yep, yep. And you've got a, there's a 10-year period where that has to be distributed nowadays. All right, uh, hopefully that helps. Let Joe and Big Al spitball on your financial situation. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app to go to the show notes, then click Ask Joe and Al on air. Tell the fellas the relevant details like your name, ages, and location. The name can be whatever you like. The ages and location should be real for a more accurate spitball. Also, when do you and your spouse, if you have one, want to retire? How much do you think you'll need to spend annually in retirement? How much do you make and save now? 
And how much do you already have saved and in what types of accounts, Roth, 401k, brokerage, etc.? And provide any other details that are relevant to your question. Then to help Joe better visualize your situation, tell us where or how you listen to YMYW, what you drink, and anything else you want to share, because this show would not be a show without you. And if you're among the 13% of listeners who are not following YMYW, you'll know when Joe and Big Al answer your question if you just tap that follow or subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. See? Clarisville? Clarisville? Clarisville. I've never heard of that Clarisville. Yeah. It's in Ohio. Never been there. Yeah. Hello, Joe. Big Al. My name's Craig, 22 years old. I've been listening to YMYW for the past three years as I worked long hours in a manual labor job during the summers home from college. So he'd be listening to this garbage. <laughs> What's worse, <laughs> manual labor or listen to this? Got off well, the if you got a horrible job that doesn't require a lot of brain work, you might as well just torture yourself. Oh, just it's like life can't be any worse. <laughs> well, see, the good point then is it, it's it's all up from there. Yeah, yeah, I got it. <laughs> let, let me get this financial stuff out of the way. I'll make a couple good decisions when I because oh, I don't want to, you know, do this manual labor much longer. <laughs> um, I learned a lot of information from that. I wanted to thank you. I graduated college in the beginning of May and now plan to pursue a career in financial planning. All right. As part of our school curriculum, I've already passed a CFP registered education program, and I plan on studying for the next six months to take the exam in November. I was wondering if you guys could spitball on tips for taking the CFP exam and advice on building a successful career for all your young listeners out there. Thanks a lot. Love everything you guys do. All right. Well, congrats, Craig. Yeah, and I think that's a good field to go into. I really do. It's tough. This field, it's like it's it's the best and it's the worst, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's uh, to be successful, it takes a lot, doesn't it? it? Well, you just gotta be really careful because you got old school brokers, right? And then they're gonna look for associates. And so there's going to be plenty of jobs for the young CFP grads to go there and they're going to be an associate advisor and, and they'll be like, oh, you'll be my succession plan. Right. And then the young CFP will work there and they'll be like, okay, well, here, it's hard for me as a 22-year-old to go out and get clients. Right. And so if I work with a senior advisor or broker and work in their practice, I'm going to be successful going that route. Most times that never happens because all of a sudden the younger associate advisor does all the work and the senior broker is still making a ton of cash and he's like why on earth would i ever want to give this up right and then uh, then he's 60 70 80 <laughs> then he 85 <laughs> desk <laughs> so it may take it may take a while another route you can go so you can work in the custodial channels which i think is a is a good route so you can go to fidelity you can go to vanguard you can go to charles schwab sure right and be a financial consultant I, i'm not sure of the, the full career track there uh, but you get a really good learning base. But there's a lot of transactions that happen there in regards to how many clients that you have to serve. And you're really not doing deep dive, comprehensive financial planning. For what I hear, I've never worked yeah, there. Yeah, me neither. But yeah, what we hear then is 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 to make your salary. It's basically based upon the activity. So it's like you're on a treadmill, which never lets up. Sure. Or you could go independent. But at 22, that's tough. That, that's tough. Now, I think you got to work for somebody to get your... <laughs> get some learning you go to the big brokerage house you can go to the Merrill, the banks yeah right? and then you can get on a team there that's a tough gig that too. is tough even like like credit unions tough oh 
Yeah. It just sucks. It's yeah. it's terrible. So, so you're not you're not, it's not are you telling good. him not to get into this business? <laughs> no, you just got to do your due diligence. I think the RIA space is a really up and coming space, and so if you can look at a fee only fiduciary advisor that they have dedicated financial planning teams that have a full career track, I think that's the direction that you might want to look into. In regards to the CFP, what I did to pass mine, I just took practice tests a thousand times over because. The questions are tricky as yeah, all yeah. get out. Yeah, you have to know what they're asking. And I didn't do CFP. I did CPA. I took a review course that lasted like four months, and it was it was a godsend. It helped me pass the CPA exam. Yeah, I just took practice exam after practice. And then all the answers, if I, I wanted to make sure that A, B, C, D, or whatever that the multiple choices, I knew which one was right and which one was wrong. Yeah, right, right. And so, they, they do try to trick you. Oh, they'll trick you because they're like, oh, well, two are so close. <laughs> right. Um, but good luck. Let us know if you pass. And this is a great great career right we help people constantly help them uh, avoid terrible financial mistakes yeah so i don't want to discourage anyone from going into this field but you got to be careful of who because things sound pretty good on the surface and there's a ton of recruiters out there that like to get the young cfp grads to go in and hey call your friends and family get the list of a thousand people start cold calling cold knocking and things like that for the people that are successful it's probably two percent that can do that because you get your teeth kicked in 95% of the time. Unfortunately, I have marbles in my mouth, so I was- Apparently, that's from, from those days. Yeah, so it, so it helped me. I, I, had, I had thick skin and kind of a dumb brain. So, all right, we'll see you next week. Show's got your money well. Help new listeners find YMYW by leaving your honest reviews and ratings for Your Money, Your Wealth in Apple Podcasts and any other podcast app that accepts them. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 to schedule a free financial assessment in person at one of our seven offices around the country or online at a date and time convenient for you no matter where you are. Chances are one of the experienced financial professionals at Pure will be able to identify strategies to help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.